You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Today, we are going to get back on track and continue what we've been doing. Um, We are looking at the Green Bay Packers roster. We've done all of the offense as well as defensive tackle and edge rusher. Today, we're going to look at inside linebacker, which includes Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell, Eric Wilson, Isaiah McDuffie, Tariq Carpenter, who was just added to this group, and Jimmy Phillips. And again, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about Tariq being put in a, a more optimal situation and, and maybe he's really going to break out. Maybe that is the case. My hunch is Tariq Carpenter is a seventh-round pick. The Packers like their draft picks. They like Tariq. They drafted him for a reason. But I think they also understood that he was on the verge of getting cut if he stayed at safety. We have way too many safeties. We got Savage. We got Ford. We got Owens. We got Moore. We got Johnson. We got Levitt. We got Gaines. We got Sapp. There's way too many. And they didn't want to have to cut Tariq Carpenter, especially when we're short on linebackers. So, you know, they, they, here, here's the other thing. They like him as a special teamer. I think. And PFF didn't. But I think the Packers like him as a special teamer. So we want to keep him on. But we've got Dallin Levitt, who's a safety that we're keeping because he's a special teamer. How many safeties are we going to have on this team? You know, we got to have, I know we're not talking safety, but you got to have Rudy Ford. You got to have Darnell Savage. I'm sure Owens and, and Moore are probably going to make it. And Dallin Levitt is probably going to, oh, and we got Anthony Johnson. That would be six. So that's already probably too many. That seems like a lot. Uh, that doesn't even include Innis Gaines, who I guess is just kind of screwed. And you know, Benny Sapp, I don't know, practice squad maybe, if you can kind of step. But where's Carpenter fit into this? And I think just going through it, they realized that, you know, Tariq was always kind of a safety linebacker hybrid. He was not showing out as a safety, and he probably isn't going to make the team if we keep him at safety. And we want him to make the team because we want his special team's ability. I have an idea. Let's kick him over to linebacker. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to suck at linebacker or anything like that. But I, I do think it's maybe an overstated thing to say the Packers realize where his strengths are, and that's the reason they moved him. In other words, if it wasn't for the fact that we were short on linebackers and way over uh, over stacked at safety, he'd probably still be a safety. But anyways, that's what we're talking about today is the linebackers. Somewhat relieved that it's a little bit of a smaller group, but let's get started. Uh, why don't we start with Devondre Campbell? The Green Bay Packers clearly have a very different strategy than the Chicago Bears when it comes to uh, roster building, and especially in regards to linebackers, I guess. The Bears feel like, let's go take some guys that aren't super good and pay them way too much money because they kind of had like a breakout year, and maybe that wasn't a fluke, even though 90% of the time it is a fluke. And so they pay too much for a guy that's probably going to regress back to what they were. The strategy of Brian Gutekunst is let's find somebody that is going to perfectly fit our scheme and um, fits all, everything we need. Six foot three, two three. You know, every, down the line, this is like the guy that fits the mold of what we're looking for. And then you look at it and say, yeah, but he's really bad at football. That's probably a bad idea. And then Goot says, trust the poss- process, lowball the crap out of him. And so they do that. And then he comes here and then he dominates. 2016 fourth round pick was Devondre Campbell. Here are his grades for Atlanta. 
55, 69, 56, 50. Here is his grade with Arizona, 49. So in total, you got 50, 60, 50, 50, 40. Then he comes to Green Bay and has an 85 PFF grade, graded as the number one linebacker in football, 82 run defense grade, a 90 tackling grade, 73 pass rush grade, and an 82.2 coverage grade. For reference, his highest coverage grade prior to his 82 was a 68. uh, It was his highest pass rush grade, although he did have one that was close with Atlanta. Generally, he's in the low 50s. Um, It was his highest tackling grade, although he's always been a good tackler. His highest run defense grade prior to his 81.5 was a 65.3, and his highest overall um, prior to his 85 was a 69.2. Then, in 2022, he regressed, but nowhere near as bad as he was in the past, and I think people started to panic. Same with Razul Douglas, which we'll get to, and the thought is, oh man, he's not good anymore. Bullcrap. We got somehow a team that has never had linebackers got spoiled in one year. I don't know how that happens. Devondre Campbell had a 75.6 grade. Now, it was mostly coverage, which I'm fine with, but he still had a 60 run defense grade. It was actually his worst tackling grade, which is really surprising, but also every reason in the world to believe that that's going to improve. It was the second lowest tackling grade since um, his rookie year and by an absolute mile. He pretty much has high 80s and 90s every single year. He had a 63 tackling grade, so that will improve. I have no idea what happened there. But then a pass rush grade that was 71.3, again, still staying high, and a coverage grade of 81, which is about as high as it was last year, which, again, is staggering because he was never good in coverage before he got here. But for reference, using PFF grade as our metric, because there really aren't a ton of other ones to choose, he was the 16th best linebacker in the NFL. The fact that the guy dropped only down that low is kind of shocking. I'm just glad he didn't go back into the 50s where he was pretty much every year prior to this. If he stays a top 20 linebacker this year, that's unbelievable to me. And I think you can make a case of those things going either way because his run defense did go kind of back to where it always had been. But his tackling plummeted. So if the coverage stays and the tackling massively improves, which you would assume would help his run defense a little bit, although they are separable, but then you would expect it to actually go up a little bit. However, what if his coverage comes back down? Because remember, that is massively fluky, and it stayed way high. If that comes down and his run defense stays down, then he continues to plummet even further. So that's going to be a big question. Something else to pay attention to here. Whatever the issue was with tackling, once again, it was the same garbage as with almost every other player on this team. There was something wrong at the beginning of the season. His tackling grades... Through the first six weeks, which is when we played the Jets, are the thusly. 46, 51, 51, 57, 58, and 37. Now, he still had a bad game against Buffalo, as far as literally everything. 37 run defense, 33 tackling, 43 coverage. It was probably his worst game freaking ever. But if we look at week seven and beyond, it was 84, 33, 82, 55, 80, 80, 80. So five of his last seven games... His tackling grade was in the 80s. So it seems as though his tackling got back on track. I don't know what exactly the problem was. His run defense was pretty much bad all year. And by bad, I mean his high, he had one good game against Washington where he was in the 90s in every category. Aside from that, he didn't have one game even in the 70s in terms of run defense. Which doesn't surprise me because I watched them. I went back and watched them and I told you, Quay and Devondre are just freaking standing there. They're not doing anything. They're not impacting the plays 
in any way whatsoever in, in as far as running goes. Ever. They're never doing anything. They're standing there. So that doesn't surprise me even in the slightest. But again, that'll kind of be the big question for me. I would assume his tackling will kind of go back to what it was in the 90s. The question is, will the run defense stay down while the coverage starts to regress? Or is the coverage set in stone and maybe we can kind of just at least get the tackling back so that he stays a top 20, possibly top 15 guy, and we'll just disregard the run defense. If that gets better, then he's back to being elite. If it doesn't, then he's still great. So usually I can kind of give an estimate in terms of, I think this person's going to regress or I think that they're going to, but it's, it's kind of 50-50 when you have one that's like uncharacteristically low that you would expect to be better. And the other one's uncharacteristically high, but it's been two years in a row. So, I don't know. I guess we'll just wait and see. But let's move on to Quay Walker. This is a guy that, um, another one on the team that's just sort of forgotten about, right? And and maybe for good reason, I don't know. I mean, he, he showed flashes, but then he was kind of a disappointment overall. Um, but, but, you know, again, I think a lot of fan bases, when it comes to a lot of different players, talk about that next year leap and in the Packers do that once in a while although I who who now that I think about it, who would be the guy that everybody is like oh yeah but next year leap really nobody I mean Christian Watson the bar is set lower than what he did as a rookie from what I've observed Romeo Dobbs maybe but I I feel like everybody kind of overhyped him last year anyways like oh he had a great year last year and I don't see anybody really saying he's going to take a big leap this year um Zach Tom, maybe, would be one. I'm trying to think, like, because it matters. Maybe, maybe Devontae Wyatt, but I, I just, I, I have not heard. I, I know nobody in the national media has said it, because God forbid you say anybody is going to um, be better than last year, because that makes you a biased idiot fan for assuming anything could possibly get better for the Packers now that Rodgers left. But it is strange to me that, that there's just basically nothing. Right? It, it's like, well, we saw Quay. Turns out that didn't work out. Now that sucks. Like, okay. Look, here's the deal with Quay. It was really quite bad. And I'm not just talking about the punching innocent civilians thing. That's its own deal. When you look at it from an overall standpoint, you've got a rookie who had a 51.9 overall grade, a 34 run defense grade. That's not great. Right, he was one of the best tacklers in in like college football history. He had a like a sixty tackling grade. He was so so as a tackler, which is part of the reason I rolled my eyes with the Brian Branch thing. Like, yeah, but he's a good tackler. Like, yeah, we've heard that before. I heard that with Quay. Didn't really mean much. Didn't even mean good tackler in the pros, much less good football player. But I think the biggest problem with Quay Walker, and it it, it it's a negative, but it's also a positive. But let's just we're we're highlighting the negatives here. It's that the bad was so unbelievably bad. So like everybody else, weeks three, four, five, and six, right in that stretch, he was terrible. His overall grades were 36, 46, 35, 45. And it was primarily his run defense that was the biggest issue. 33, 40, 28, and 42. But it wasn't just that four-game stretch. He had a 46 overall grade week nine against Detroit, a 30 grade against Philadelphia week 12, a 39 grade against Miami, and a 43 grade week 18 against Detroit. Now, generally, you'll see somebody that'll occasionally, like once or twice, have a game in the 20s or 30s, and it's like, ooh, that was rough. Especially young players. And the hope is, you know, if we could just nip those in the bud, then that would be great. When half of your games are 
that. I mean, literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in the 40s or lower. Eight. Detroit, New England, the Jets, Detroit again, Miami, Tampa Bay, the Giants, and Philadelphia. Ranged from 30 to 46 as far as his overall. That's really, 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 really bad to have that many, not just, you know, not great games or subpar games or it could have been better games. I'm talking like you are kind of garbage. However, it's inconsistency. It's not bad all the time. It's, it's, it's either he's really bad or he's good. I think he had one, uh, no, there's three in here, three games that graded out his average. But he also had a lot of really good games. Week 17 against Minnesota, 72 overall grade. Great tackling, solid run defense, good pass rush, real good coverage. Against Tennessee, week 11, 73. Against Buffalo, week 8, a 75. Uh, week 2 against Chicago, a 76. Week 7 against Washington, a 78. And week 15 against LA, an 87, which was his highest graded game. Um, so, again, you, you've got half the season, he was a really good linebacker. Half the season, he was horrific. And, and like I've said before, if you can just get the horrific to be subpar, get the 30s to become 50s, his grade's going to go from a 50 to a 70. It's just the bad is so bad. That's the problem. But it's also, there's an even higher note to this. Despite the fact that he's the supposed thumping, rangy, run-defending, tackling machine... Really, the only thing that sucked about what he did was his tackling and especially run defense. 63 tackling grade, 35 run defense. His pass rush grade was a 70, and his coverage grade was a 71. He allowed uh, 31 receptions, 304 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, five pass breakups. And especially down the stretch, the coverage was really good. Granted, um, he had some really bad games mixed in, but if you look prior to week eight, okay, here are all the grades. 50, 80, 40, 60, 50, 60, 60. Right, so there's 180 in there, just elite game against Chicago. It was almost a 90, actually. It was an 87. But otherwise, it's all average. 50, 40, 60, 50, 60, 60. Then from week 8, again, there's three bad games mixed in, but notice how they're all really good. 85, uh, 85, 32, 76, 76, 82, 73, 77, 33, 75, 47. So there's the three bad games mixed in, but if you just... You know, ignore those, which I know you can't really. But the the point is, what are you generally seeing from him? From week seven and earlier, low 60s. Week eight and later, mid 70s. Like, if you had to pick what do you think he's going to do this week, prior to week eight, you would have said probably like a 63. Week eight and on, the safe money is probably about a 75. Like, if, if the game was guess his exact coverage grade. That's a significant change. And it's night and day. Like, it, it just, it happened on a dime. It's like driving through Milwaukee and just going from the rich area to the poor area. Like, it's one street. It's like the Mercedes-Benz, then the Popeyes, then the four Taurus with the windows busted out. So, you know, uh, the, the question for Quay, and, and this is true of a lot of guys the Packers draft, because they draft guys with high ceilings. It, it's never really about, um, do you have the capability of being a good football player, like, within you? The question is, can, can we get you to be more consistent in what you do when you're being good, right? It's just, it's just everybody has good plays and bad plays. The question, the, the only real variables are how good is good, how bad is bad, and what is the ratio of that? Because nobody's just consistently good all the time. 
The problem with Quay was just too many really, really, really bad games. But again, there's so much good that happened this season, unlike some other people, because even if you look at it, I mean, compared to other rookies, I believe, let me just check real quick. I haven't looked at it in a little while. Um, but if you look at him compared to other rookie linebackers, it was also quite bad. Actually, that's not true. He was middle of the pack. And, and by the way, again, because we all seem to forget how rookies perform, only one linebacker, and he was not a starter, had a grade in the 70s, and it was 70.3, and that was Leo Chennault. And he only played 296 snaps. Quay Walker played 850. Uh, Damone Clark, Jack Sanborn, and Malcolm Rodriguez were in the 60s. Chad Muma and Quay Walker were in the 50s. Devin Lloyd and Troy Anderson were in the 40s. Micah McFadden, Luke Masterson, and Christian Harris, uh, well, well, the last guy was in the 20s, the other two were in the 30s. But again, even if you even if you look at it, I think Leo Chanel had a pretty similar season to Quay. It's just exactly like I said, instead of 30s and 40s, it was like he had 140 and then some 50s and 60s mixed in with his 70s and 80s. He didn't get a 70 grade because he was 70 every week. He just had less horrible games. You know, if you look at Jack Sanborn in Chicago, I would probably have less hope for him, partially because he was an undrafted free agent, but, I mean, he was average to bad every single week, and then against Green Bay and Philadelphia, his final two games, he had really, really good games. Now, if you want to put all your chips in on two games, fine, but, again, you kind of just get a general idea of what the guy is over some time, and I just wouldn't have as much confidence in that, as opposed to consistently showing me really good games. But then just seeing, you know, and, and, and again, what is the biggest issue with rookies? They don't know what they're doing. How do you get more consistency? Just knowing where you're supposed to be, where your eyes are supposed to be, where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. Again, it's still always going to be a question of will they ever get there? I don't know. But the good news is we saw on a fairly regular basis Quay Walker being a very good linebacker. And the only real question, question is can we mitigate or lessen the amount of really bad games? Because if we can, we already have a good linebacker in Quay Walker. That's all I'm asking from him. I don't need anything better. I just need less bad and slightly less punching, but only slightly. Like, if you want to punch one player on the offense that's in the game, not on the sidelines, not a coach, not a little water girl, or somebody in the medical staff who's tending to an injured player, you get one throat punch a season. And only assuming, if you're going to get ejected, make sure it's not a close game. So either we're blowing them out or we're getting blown out. I've spoken my piece. Um, I guess we'll go to Eric Wilson, because I like him and I want to. So Eric Wilson is somebody that I was really, really excited about. If you, you got to go way back in your memory bank, but you may recall me talking about Eric Wilson. I don't know if it was prior to us picking him up or not. I believe it was. I was surprised. I, I, first of all, I was surprised when the Vikings let him go. I kind of made fun of him for it. I don't think the Vikings fans really cared. But Eric Wilson, you may remember if you're, if you're kind of an OG from a, year, a couple years ago, he was sort of a young, talented linebacker for Minnesota. Not elite, but he was solid. And he was one of the linebackers that got let go so that they could keep their 40-year-old guys who they ended up getting rid of anyways. And I just thought it was a bad decision. And one of the biggest reasons it was a bad decision wasn't necessarily how much he can trip. Well, I shouldn't say how much because how much is a lot. Um, how good of a job he did as a linebacker. So just for reference, 2017 Minnesota Vikings undrafted free agent. By the time 2018 rolled around, he's already getting a relatively significant role as a linebacker. 
He got 336 snaps and had a 62 grade. For an undrafted free agent in his first season, that's pretty good. Year two, his snap count goes up to 445 and has a 66 grade, gets even better. A 59 run defense, basically average. Tackling was a 74, that's great. 82 pass rush, not on that many snaps, but that's phenomenal. And then a 67 coverage grade, which again, completely fine with that. Then in year three, it all kind of takes a step back, which maybe kind of played into everything. 53 overall grade. That's when he played a, a actual starter role with 1,034 reps. But anyways, he gets let go. Then he gets picked up uh, in 2021, plays for Houston and for Philly. That was kind of a disaster. 39 overall grade. And then Green Bay picks him up in 2022. But here's the thing that got me. That was his defensive grades. Here's what got me all excited. This might legitimately be the best special teams player in the entire NFL. He is, I don't even want to say Adrian Amos because I think he's better than that. He is sort of the Adrian Amos of special teams insofar as, I don't know if he's ever been the number one. I think he has, or at least been very close in terms of his overall special teams grades. Um, but he is he is an unsung hero that nobody talks about that has pretty much since day one graded out as like a top five special teamer. His special teams grades... 90, 80, 70, 90, 60, and then last year for the Green Bay Packers, 92. Just for reference, because we don't usually talk a ton about special teams, at least as much as everything else. The Green Bay Packers special teams units prior to like this last year would be lucky to have one person in any given week, much less for the season, with a 70 overall grade. I mean, it's 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 like 64 and under with most people in like the 50s, 40s, 30s, and 20s. Like, it's just an absolute pile of crap. Now, that's that's the Packers just being garbage on special teams. But but for a guy that is every single year, with the exception of 2021, where he played for two different teams, uh, Houston and Philadelphia, and he dropped down to a 60, which, again, is average. Um, three out of his five other years... He's in the 90s. That's unbelievable. The other one was basically an 80, and then the other one was a 70. If you look since 2017, I can't combine years. I wish PFF would give that feature to be able to combine years to look through 2017 to 2022, highest graded players. I would be kind of stunned if he wasn't the highest graded over the last however many years, and the fact that he's done it for so long. You might have a guy that's been in for two years that's been great. Similar to Adrian Amos, though, how many can you go back to... It was Amos and Harrison Smith were the only two safeties that when you go back as far as those two guys went back were that consistently good all the time. So, to me, Eric Wilson is the absolute unsung hero. He, I mean, his best special teams year of his entire career, according to to PFF, 91.7 special teams grade. Absolutely incredible. And, And, you know... As somebody who absolutely appreciates special teams as I do, the fact that we can just pick him up. And by the way, he's actually a linebacker. Compared to a lot of the other guys that we bring in to kind of be special teams slash linebackers in a pinch, this might be one of the best linebackers we've had. And I'm not even saying he's good. I'm just saying he's probably kind of average with a ton of experience playing three years in Minnesota and then, you know, a handful of snaps for two other teams. So he's played for now four teams. You could probably combine all his snaps into about two full seasons worth and is maybe the best special teamer, not including like kicker, punter, returner. But even with that, you're not going to find anybody with grades like this. The other kind of crazy thing about Eric Wilson, kind of similar to our kick returner, 
um, Keyshawn Nixon, you know, Keyshawn came on late and we didn't even get to see him. Eric Wilson didn't start on special teams for us until week five. He didn't get into the groove of things until week eight. His grade week five was a 63, then a 47, then a 61. Once week eight rolled around, his fourth week in this special team system under Rich Bisaccia, his grades were 86, 78, 91, this is week by week, 70, 76, 90, 61, 86, 77, 72. That's stupid. Again, I I very rarely found anybody ever on a week-to-week basis in the 80s for special teams, if you go back two, three years. Very rarely ever. It was a sad and bleak affair. That's why we hardly ever talked about it, because it was just like, well, here's 25 players. Almost every single one of them is in the the low 60s. Uh, Our highest graded three players are like 65, 68, and then we got a 69.9. And then we got about 18 guys that we can talk about that are just bad. So for this guy to come in and do every week with the exception of one against LA, and that was a 61, which is perfectly fine. He only had one game below a 60, and that was week six which is a second weekend against the Gi- uh, the Gi- uh, Jets, for crying out loud, which was a 47. But he did every week what almost... Let me put it a different way. If you just take his first good game for Green Bay Week 8 against Buffalo, 86.4, that might have been, if you go back two years, one of the highest performing games of any special team around any week. And he did that like nine times. I don't give a crap if this guy never plays a snap on defense. If he can keep doing what he's doing, and I don't know what he's doing, but if he can just keep doing it, that'd be great. By the way, we can actually look at it. Um, 65 snaps on the kick return team, 64 snaps on kick coverage. So he's primarily kickoffs. So kick return, blocking, kick coverage, go and tackle that guy. And then about half as many on punt returns, which might actually just be, we did half as many punts, I have no idea. But 31 on punt return, 34 on punt coverage. And then only one snap on field goal blocks, none on field goal kicks. But on kick and punt coverage and return, he's out there a lot, and he is freaking amazing. So what can he do as a linebacker? I don't know. I have a, a baseline level of confidence in him because he's done a decent job. Hopefully we don't have to find out, but in a pinch, um, I think I'm fine with him or, or McDuffie, who we'll get to. He's shown a couple flashes here and there. But, I mean, for, for a backup linebacker, There is nobody, I don't think there's anybody in the NFL, not that I know a whole lot of backups, but if you said pick any single player to kind of be that number three, it could be like a number three running back, a number three linebacker, number four wide receiver, backup offensive lineman, backup quarterback, any, anything like that. Eric Wilson would have to be my answer. He is a competent backup starter in a pinch and is maybe the best special teamer in the NFL. Now, again, this is all based on PFF's grading. Maybe just the way they grade he plays to, and he's not actually that good. I have no idea. Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. But I love it because our special teams was great, and it got better. And I don't exactly know how, but I have a feeling it had something to do with players playing better. And the fact that we had one of the best return men in the game, I think that plays a big part in it. But I think there must have been some other pieces. And when I see guys like Eric Wilson performing the way that he's performing, I'm just going to go ahead and trust that that has something to do with the fact that our special teams got better, and I want him to stay here forever, or at least a couple more years until he gets old and can't do this anymore. He's 28.7 years old, so hopefully he's got a couple years left in the tank. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break? We'll be back when we're back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hokey smoke. Uh, let's see. Isaiah McDuffie is next on the list. So Isaiah was a 2021 sixth round pick by the Green Bay Packers. Six foot one, 227 out of Boston College. Definitely not as much hype for Isaiah McDuffie um, as a sixth round pick as we've had in maybe the last two years about our mid to late round picks. You know, every everybody's about to be a, a guy that fell and is going to break out or whatever. Not as much for Mr. McDuffie. But I think a lot of us, myself included, are kind of coming around to him at least a little bit. It's one of those things where you start to have a little bit of faith in him. Plus, I, I, I just... The thing that I really liked about watching him play is that he at least did the things that I wished Quay and Campbell did. And that is he would just attack stuff and light it up. He might not be as good of a football player, but he did that and I appreciated it. Uh, he spent four years at Boston College, never really graded out very well, but was a good tackler. In uh, 2021, he only played one snap, didn't really get to do anything. He rushed the passer and had a perfect 60 grade, so obviously the play went away from him, so they couldn't really give him a grade, so they just gave him a 60. That preseason, however, he already started to show out. Uh, He came in preseason week two against the Jets and had a 70 grade, played 19 snaps, 70 grade, 76.9 tackling, pretty solid across the board. Then against Buffalo week three, again, this is preseason, he played almost 70 snaps, which had to have been like the whole game. Spent most of the time in coverage, but 80 overall grade, 63 run defense, 87 pass rush, which he rushed the passer nine times, had two pressures, including a sack, 
and uh, 71 coverage grade. Three targets, three receptions, 21 yards, 95.8 coverage grade. That's on 45 snaps, only three receptions for 21 yards, so not bad. So kind of right out of the gate, he started to show stuff. 2022 um, uh, preseason was kind of just as good, even though the, the grade dropped overall. His pass rush stays high, which is crazy. But the only reason why the grade overall is lower is because he kind of had a bad game against Kansas City. 30 overall grade. But the first two were 75 and 75. So his grades across the board all through the preseason have been fairly good. But the, again, the 2021 regular season didn't really do much. Then 2022, he had more opportunities in the regular season. Very sporadic. But week one, he got six snaps. Bad grade, but again, it's six snaps. Week five, it was one snap. And I think that was just special teams. Uh, week eight against Buffalo was his first time actually getting an opportunity. He played 40 snaps. He had a 57 grade, which is below average, uh, about a 60 run defense, 80 tackling, and about a 60 coverage grade. Then week nine against Detroit, he had a 91 overall grade, 90 run defense, again, solid tackling and and so-so coverage. Then he played almost 70 snaps against Dallas, uh, graded out as average in that game. Tennessee, he graded poorly, but it was just eight snaps. His only game playing any kind of significant snaps and getting graded out poorly was actually his lowest graded game, and that was against Philly, um, which to some degree is understandable, but, you know, no excuses. 19 snaps, 26 grade. Um, however, he finished the season very strong. Uh, two of his three highest graded games, week 17 against Minnesota, he again had an elite grade, which is crazy. 12 snaps, not, you know, the most in the world, but still double digits. 91 overall, 87 run defense, 81 tackling, and a 67 coverage grade. And then against Detroit, just five snaps, but still graded out quite well. 70.6, 65 uh, run defense, blah, blah, blah. So look, I, I don't think Isaiah McDuffie is going to be a starter. But again, I think he's come in. He, he is sort of, if I had to pair our backups to our starters, Isaiah would be the Quay. When he's good, he is freaking unbelievable. But he's also got some really, really bad stuff. Whereas I feel like with, uh, with Wilson... You might not get the ceiling, but I also don't think you get the floor. I mean, the, the, the low floor. But again, with Isaiah McDuffie, it really isn't as much to do with him as a starter as it is for him as a special teamer, and he absolutely broke out. Hilariously, I had mentioned that uh, Eric Wilson probably was the best special teamer, uh, at least was one of them. Isaiah McDuffie must have been pretty close. In 2021, his special teams grade was a 42 really bad. Zero tackles and two missed tackles. In 2022, his his grade was an 88.5. He went from three penalties down to one penalty, from zero tackles to 10 tackles, two assists up to three assists, and kept his misses at just two. But he was rock steady, solid special teamer, um, basically like two bad games, otherwise 70s and 80s almost every single week. So, you know, again, I, I I think with our linebacking group, at least as far as the guys we've covered, and, and I really think there's not too much reason to cover anybody else. We'll see about Tariq and whatnot, but um, and we'll talk about Jimmy Phillips. But th- this seems really straightforward. Quay and Campbell are your one and two. Wilson and McDuffie are guys that, in a pinch, you can kind of hold your breath and, and cross your fingers and, and have some reasonable expectation that they can come in and fill in for a short period and you'll be okay and are two of the best special teams players in football. Now, granted, there are 60 billion special teamers, so it, you know, 
I mean, we could look it up. Yeah, Eric Wilson was the second highest graded. Actually, no, he was number one. He tied for number one with Yatur Gross Matos. And Isaiah McDuffie ranked 19th. So we had two of the top 20 special teamers in the NFL, which is just staggering because I would be stunned if we had two in the top 100 over the last couple of years. Because, I mean, legitimately, even if you filter out players that didn't play on special teams enough, there are 664 special teamers. So being top 20 as a quarterback is very different than being top 20 as a special teamer. Right, top 20 quarterback is kind of garbage. Top 20 special teamer is freaking unbelievable. I will say, though, we still had way too many that were on the... I'm on the last page here, and there are so many Green Bay Packers, it's really infuriating. <laughs> Innis Gaines, uh, Mason Crosby, yikes. That's really bad. Uh, uh, Tipa Nalii, Jack Coco, so there you go. And Darnell Savage, of course. If you're wondering about the Mason Crosby thing, they actually have a kickoff grade, which I don't think I've ever read on here because it feels not worth reading. He had a 22 kickoff grade, which is just kind of crazy. Honestly, don't even know how that's possible. So, anyways, again, that's that's sort of kind of where I sort of kind of where I stand on the the front four. Your starters and then two reasonably capable backups that are very good special teamers that I hope don't regress. And, and again, the good news about it, once in a while you see somebody with a good grade and you check it out, and it's mostly bad, but then there's like two 90s strewn in there somewhere. That's not reliable. But for both Eric Wilson and my Isaiah McDuffie, it was like every single week. Every single week, these guys were just solid. So, you know, you, you chalk it up to their individual play style and ability and then, you know, kind of put that together with Rich Bisaccia just actually knowing what he's doing as opposed to maybe some of the other special teams coaches we've had in the past. And there's reason to believe that um, we can kind of go ahead and do that all over again. Uh, all right, Tariq Carpenter, 2022 seventh-round pick. And yes, you can say that he was 2022. This is year two for him, so there's every reason for him to get better. Fine, if you want to say that. You know how I feel about seventh-round picks. Uh, four years at Georgia Tech before we got him. Strangely enough, his two best years were his first two years, and then he completely fell off a cliff. That's very rare to find. Um, he did regress slightly as a run defender and just plummeted in terms of his coverage grade. I, I, well, I guess I'll dig into it a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's some kind of a change in his um, alignments. There doesn't seem to be. No. I mean, a defensive coordinator maybe injury. I, I really don't know. But for whatever reason, he uh, fell off a cliff at Georgia Tech, and I'm sure that led to him falling. But again, had a really good rookie and sophomore year at Georgia Tech. Graded out in the 70s, pretty much across the board. Overall, run defense, tackling, coverage. But um, pick him up in the preseason. And again, remember, he's sort of a safety-linebacker hybrid. He played safety all through all through college. Sort of a primarily a strong safety, especially down the stretch. But also played slot and boundary and whatnot once in a while. But then there was still kind of a question, you know, given his size being 6'3", 230 pounds, whether or not maybe a move to linebacker could end up being better. But we played him at safety. In the preseason, he graded out fine, pretty average. His run defense was a little bit below average. His coverage just a little above and then just had phenomenal tackling. 83 and 82 were his tackling grades in his two preseason games. So he graded out fairly well in everything except run defense. He had a 49 overall grade. And then in the regular season, we only saw him very sparingly and, again, was pretty average across the board. One snap week, five, 60 grade, 
Uh, week 16, three snaps, 60 grade. Week 17 against Minnesota was the only time he had significant snaps. That was 13, still a 63 grade. Um, so really not doing a ton. But the biggest thing is Tariq is a phenomenal special teamer. At least that's what the, the reports were coming out. So there's plenty of reason to get excited. Unfortunately, he didn't actually do that great as far as his PFF grades. Again, I understand this isn't the gospel. If you have some other metric that you'd like to use, fine. If not, I don't know what else to do to help you. I know, I know. Go watch the tape. Yeah, I'm sure. But um, it's not that he was... He, I mean, he had some good weeks. And again, it's hard to come across guys that can even get in the 70s. He did it one, two, three, four different times throughout the season. Um, he had two games that were quite bad. His first game, which I guess you could maybe forgive him for, but that was a 30. That was his lowest. And then against Miami was a 43. But for the most part, he kind of hung in the 40s, 50s, 60s area. He ended with a 54.7 special teams grade. They primarily put him on kick coverage and punt return. And as far as did he improve as the season went on, my estimation would be not really. That's not to say he can't grow and get better. I'm not saying any of that. Um, I, I think there are just several reasons I'm somewhat skeptical skeptical about Tariq. And I'm, I am a big Tariq Carpenter fan simply because he grew up a Packer fan. I, I, I have that image of him as a kid wearing a Packer shirt burned into my head. You automatically go to the top of the list if you have a, a photo of yourself as a kid wearing a Packer shirt, in my book. But again, seventh round pick, you know I'm skeptical about that. Tweeners, not a fan. Tariq is a tweener. Now, there's, there's, there, there are guys who are versatile and there are guys who are tweeners. And I'm worried Tariq might be a tweener. The difference being versatile guys can play multiple positions. Tweeners are guys that can't really play either. They're kind of half this, half that, and, and not good at either. You know, not good enough to start at either one. I have some of those concerns about a few of the defensive tackles we drafted also, but we'll see how that pans out. Um, the, the other issue is being moved from safety to linebacker. I've already talked about it, but I don't genuinely think it's because the Packers looked at it and said, this guy's going to be an elite linebacker. I think they looked at it and said, if we keep him at safety, he's going to lose his job. At least if we put him at linebacker where there's less people, maybe we get to see a better version of him because we're, he's, he's not going to win as a safety and we, wanna, we want him to be able to stay on the team. So I think it's more of a desperation move. And the, the, the issue with that is it might not be necessarily be the best move from him schematically. They initially said he'd be a better safety. Maybe they were right. Sometimes they do that. They'll, they'll switch things up last minute as a last-ditch ditch effort because if we don't do that, we might as well cut you now. I'm not saying I know that that's the case. I'm just saying that's my suspicion. And then the, the final thing that kind of makes me concerned, and it, it doesn't have to be outright cut. Maybe it's... Uh, you know, he could go to the practice squad or something. I don't really know, but making me think he's not going to make the 53 would be, again, I think we probably keep four linebackers at the most inside, and I see no reason why it wouldn't be Quay, Devondre, Eric Wilson, and Isaiah McDuffie. I don't think Tariq is as good of a linebacker as Eric Wilson or Isaiah McDuffie. I'm quite positive he's not as good of a special teamer as Eric Wilson and Isaiah McDuffie. However, I do think that the Packers drafted him for a reason. I think that they see the potential, especially as a special teamer. So I think if they can keep him around, practice squad, I think they're going to want to try that. And I don't think he's necessarily going to get stolen. So I kind of think that's where he's headed. He's not getting bumped back into safety and winning those jobs. That's already done with. I don't think he's beaten any of the four guys ahead of him right now. And I don't think we're keeping five linebackers. So what else is there? He's either getting cut or he's getting put on the practice squad. Stuff can change. Injuries can happen. He could absolutely ball out. But again, even if he does, I don't know. 
What, you're telling me because of training camp reps, you know he's going to be a better special teamer than Eric Wilson? I doubt that very much. But anyways, fingers crossed for Tariq that they find a a role for him and that he can be a productive Packer because that'd be kind of cool. All right, final guy that we're going to look at is the brand spanking new undrafted free agent Jimmy Phillips Jr., so Jimmy Phillips Jr., six foot three, two hundred and thirty-five pounds, out of SMU. Um, Dane Brugler does have him on his board, but not on his main board, but on his best of the rest board. And he's actually the number one linebacker on his best of the rest. So he did breakdowns on thirty-five prospects. He was number thirty-six out of a total of two hundred and twenty-one linebackers on here, but. Um, Jimmy Phillips measured in 6'1", 232, ran a 4'6", 740, 7'6", 3 cone, 4'4", 6 short shuttle, 31.5 vert, 9'6", broad jump, 9.25 hands, 32-inch arms, 79-inch wingspan. It's a pretty massive wingspan. So pretty, I hate to say lousy, but semi-lousy metrics in terms of 40-time, 3 cone, short shuttle, vert was pretty bad. Broad jump was pretty average, but um, dude's got long arms, so there you go. Anyways, let's see what Tony Pauline has to say about him, because obviously he wrote a report on every human being on planet Earth. Jimmy Phillips Jr., linebacker. Strengths, athletic run-and-chase linebacker with the ability and coverage. Breaks down well, effectively uses quiet. Why why does it always come in bursts like that? Every time I get a text, I'm like, maybe they didn't hear that one. And then it's like, like, stop it, get out of here. Put it on vibrate. I've gotten three more since then. Anyways, quickly gets to the sidelines, gets depth on pass drop, and covers a lot of area on the field. Instinctive and displays an excellent head for the ball. Hard hitter who remains disciplined with assignment and wraps up tackling. Weaknesses undersized and slow through the trash, easily blocked by a single opponent. Does not come with much growth potential. It's not super fun. Overall, Phillips was a productive run defender at SMU the past two seasons and also made a lot of plays in coverage. He's a, tradi- he's a traditional weak side linebacker who will have an opportunity on the inside of a 3-4 alignment. Hey, that's what we run. As for his PFF grades and whatnot in college, uh, he graded out actually fairly well. Four years, but didn't really ramp up until year three. However, 70 grades across the board as far as overall defense. 70s across the board in run defense, with the exception of 2021, where he was in the 80s. Pretty much 80s across the board in tackling. Pass rush, not super great. And then coverage was uh, 70, 70, 70, and then 63. So it dropped that final year, but not by a ton. And then the ever-important question, because, yeah, he was a decent uh, player, especially tackling run defense, as he said. What about special teams? Well, he actually was a very good special teamer in college. According to PFF, you know, his last year he didn't play a ton of special teams, so the four years prior to that, his grades were 82, 58, 77, and 81. So three out of the four years, he graded out very, very well on special teams. And he has a lot of snaps on special teams, and he did pretty much everything on special teams. He has 207 snaps on kick returns, 247 on kick coverage, 105 on punt return, 168 on punt coverage, and 107 on field goal blocks. So yeah, I think that probably has something to do with it. But anyways, that's about it. Again, we kind of already talked about the whole 53 situation. I I do think we're going to have four linebackers if I had to guess today, and I think the four would be Wilson, McDuffie, and our two starters. It's not to say that there isn't something to keep an eye on. I mean, we, we can certainly delve more when the time comes into the options at how many linebackers we end up keeping. Maybe some flexibility there. 
Could you keep Tariq as an additional linebacker slash safety hybrid or something? I don't really know. But also, as the training camp goes on, you start hearing a bunch of great stuff about Tariq, you might have to start asking some questions. But until that happens, four linebackers, and those are the four. So I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.